you would open your Bibles to John chapter 3 this morning. John chapter 3 and again going back to verses 16 through 21 as we I think today reach the end of Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus in verses 19 through 21. We want to read all of this together and then go back and pick up where we left off last week. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, And men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Father, help us now as we look at Your Word. Show us Christ. Show us Christ. The request came through the apostles. Sir, we would see Jesus. So this morning, Father, by Your Spirit, show us Jesus. Jesus, exalt Yourself. You are the light that Coming into the world enlightens every man. You alone illumine. You alone save. And so grant to us faith that believes what has been revealed. That saving truth. Father, if there's one this morning that has not seen the glorious light of Jesus Christ, may they see this morning with fresh and new eyes in a believing way that they might believe in the name of the only begotten Son of Yours whom You sent into the world to save. May that be true. May each one who leaves here this morning leave with hearts, belief, and not unbelief having received the word that you have given to us. So seal it to our hearts now, we pray, by your spirit and for your glory. Amen. Last week we left off in the middle of what I thought would be the concluding sermon on this particular portion of this passage. And so we pick up this morning in verse 19, having looked at verses 17 and 18. Last week we see the mission of God. We see what Jesus is sent for. We see why He has come. And John 
in his recording of Jesus telling of this account to Nicodemus is clear. He has not come to judge, and yet we discovered last week that Jesus does come, and in his very coming, though it is not his intended mission or purpose at this time, Jesus' very presence upon the earth brings about a separation. Just his very presence here brings about division. Because mankind in his natural state does not want to believe. And John makes it clear in recording Jesus' words, it is man's unwillingness to believe, it is man's lack of belief that condemns him. Jesus doesn't have to say anything. Sinners are condemned because they are sinners and because they live in willful unbelief. You know, this has tones of Paul, doesn't it? Not just John, but Paul, because all of the writers of Scripture are consistent within themselves and within their writings. I want to invite you to go over to Romans chapter 1 this morning to understand that what Jesus is saying is absolutely playing out in the life of every sinner who does not believe. Beginning in verse 18 of Romans chapter 1, Paul contrasts for us those who believe, and the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who will believe, but for those who won't, in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And what is that ungodliness? What is that unrighteousness according to the Apostle Paul? It begins here in this, that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They do what they do because they have suppressed the light, John might say. They have subjugated the light away from them. They have rejected the light because, verse 19, that which is known about God is evident within them. They know. They know. By conscience. And as Paul makes clear, for God made it evident to them, for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature, all of these have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse they know it in their conscience they know it by the very realm of created order and the world in which they live they know and paul makes it clear they are without excuse for even though verse 21 they knew god they did not honor him as god Or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing to be wise. They became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Now answer me this. 
Has God done anything yet, according to Paul in Romans chapter 1, to condemn these people? No. They have condemned themselves. Because they know, because they have enough truth to respond, they have chosen to reject it. That is the state of sinful men. We know, but we reject. We have enough revealed truth, but we choose not to accept it. That is why it is not necessary, according to Jesus in verse 17 of John 3, to come into the world to judge the world. For the world is what? Judged already. How is it judged? In their willing, eager unbelief. This is the subject that jesus begins to address in verse 19 this is however the judgment this is the judgment this is the the condemnation this is the the closed case this is the sentence that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light now, I, I know that, that we all speak in shorthand, don't we? <laughs> speak very quickly. We, we try to talk quick. We try to, to hurry through things. We try to abbreviate where we can. And, and so many times, I find my, my own self guilty, and perhaps you'll identify with this, when we are quoting, as we do probably on a fairly regular basis, we say something like this. Men love darkness rather than light. Men love darkness rather than light. And I would say to myself, and I would say to you, so close, but so far away. Because notice what John says. Men love the darkness rather than light. The light. Men love darkness rather than Jesus. It is not an ambiguous light. It is not an ambiguous truth. It has the definite article attached to it. It is the light. Not just any light. Not just the light of self-illumination, not just the light of some new age enlightened world. It is the light they hate. It is the light they have rejected. Notice how many times John, in, in this very short section, refers to the light. Let's count them. This is judgment that the light, that's one, has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light, that's two. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, that's four. For fear his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light. Five times in three verses, Jesus himself refers to himself directly with no ambiguity. 
And what is then the rejection of men? What is the condemnation of men? It is their judgment because they have rejected Jesus Christ. It's not that they have rejected our values. It is not that they have rejected our platform. It is not that they have rejected our way of life or our morals or our ethics. It is that they reject the Lord Jesus Christ. I know we're in an election cycle. And all these are buzzwords and all these things are being talked about. Let me tell you, the the platform we need is the light. Everything else is secondary. Because you reject the light, you love the darkness. It's one or the other. And men are condemned because they have rejected Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Could Jesus be any more clear about what the problem is? I don't think He could be. And he's talking to a religious man who is waiting for the light and yet has rejected the light when it comes. I want you to notice the the fervor of John's language. This is the judgment, verse 19, that the, the light has come into the world and men loved They loved, do you hear that? They loved the darkness. And they hate the light. They love darkness. And they hate with a vitriolic hatred the light. This is no light preference or prejudice even against Jesus. This is not saying, well, you know, I just, you know, I have many gods and I just don't see your Jesus fitting in with my gods. He seems like a very nice man. He seems very winsome. In fact, his, I love his ethic. All this about loving one another, it's beautiful. But you know, I I, I just don't think I'll take him for one of my gods. It's not what it says. Jesus says, they hate me. They hate me. And in other places, he'll say this, and if they hated me, they're going to hate you. They're not going to just prefer someone else. They are going to hate you. And they will openly do to you what they have done to me if you are true to me. Men love the darkness. They love what is evil. But they hate. They actively hate 
the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't come to Jesus in faith for one reason. You hate Him. It's not that you're not convinced. It's not that there's no evidence. It's not that any of these things don't exist. You hate Him. Because you love your sin more. The two cannot exist together. There is no coexist bumper sticker for belief and unbelief. And men reject the light because they love what is dark and evil and sinful. And they hate what is true, what is lovely, and what is saving. Leon Morris writes this, immersed, speaking of the people who reject the sun, reject the light. By saying this, they are immersed in wrongdoing. They have no wish to be disturbed. Do not disturb me with the light. It is the fellowship of the delightedly damned that Jesus is addressing. And it is the state of every sinner born into the world until and unless what Jesus has said for the first eight verses of this chapter happen that the spirit moves among them reading this week thinking this week I thought about all the lovely and beautiful statements that we have been handed down to us throughout the years telling us about who Jesus is. Our own confession of faith is one of those. You have beautiful creeds like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and and others that so beautifully tell who Jesus is. We have books written on this subject. We have uh, artwork that is put up in our homes that remind us of the glories of Jesus Christ. And yet we still live in the middle of a world who hates Him. Why is that? Because all the most beautiful writings of men can never write Christ upon the depraved and fallen human heart. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Only the Spirit of God can come and convince men of their sin and of the glories of the Savior and cause those who were filled with unbelief to believe and cause those who previously hated Christ to then love Christ and hate the darkness. Only God can do that. And that has been Jesus' point with Nicodemus in the first eight verses. Only God can convince of these things. Jesus goes on in verse 19 and he tells us why this is the case. Why they love darkness and hate the light. Why they hate Him. Why this judgment has come upon them. He says, doesn't he? Verse 20, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds 
will be what? Exposed, laid bare, manifest to everyone. Why do they love the darkness? Because darkness conceals their sin. Light exposes it. And when Jesus came, according to John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, He came, the Word came into His own. He is the light which enlightens every man, and His own did not receive Him, verse 11. Why? Because in His very coming, evil is exposed. Evil is made known just by His very presence. I give you his point of illustration, Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, it's one of the most incredible events. And when I say incredible, I don't just mean great, but I mean, can that even happen? Kind of incredible. Almost unbelievable, but we know it's true. We know it happens because the Word of God tells us it did. But Jesus is on the sea, and He's going across to the region of Gadara. And there at Gadara, the demonic spirits are stirred up. Jesus isn't even there yet. And the, 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 the demons who possess the man the maniac of Gadara who lived in the tombs, who could not be chained. They tried that and he broke the chains. The man has superhuman strength. He's uncontrollable. He's the fear of all the communities in the region. The demons in him see Jesus coming. And they run to meet him at the shore. And do you remember what they say? What do we have to do with you. What part does light have, in other words, with what? Darkness. Had Jesus preached a sermon to the demons? Not yet. Had Jesus confronted the, the, the foul and immoral life of the man they possessed? Not yet. Had Jesus done anything? No, He's not even on the shore and the demons are running to meet Him. Why? Because His very presence provokes. And it reveals a divide between those who believe Him and those who don't. And mankind does not want to come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Now here's the tragedy. <laughs> Demons are more honest than people. They run to Jesus and they confess Him to be exactly who He is. And they confront Him. What do mankind do? We'll hide. We'll hide behind all kinds of pseudo-righteous acts. We'll hide behind the language of preference and ideals but make no mistake about it when the light comes evil is exposed and that's why men hate jesus when he shows up when christ shows up whether it was in person or in our preaching and our witness now it causes division it reveals another problem men are evil 
And because they are evil, they love their evil and they commit evil. How's this for our witness? Do we have the boldness to say what Jesus says? If you don't come to Jesus, if you don't turn to Jesus, if you don't believe Jesus, I can only conclude it is for one reason. You are evil. And you do not want your sin exposed. Jesus says that's why they don't come. That's why they're under judgment. There are only two people. Two kinds of people in the world. Those who are under judgment because they haven't and won't believe. And those who are forgiven because they do believe. Men do not want their evil exposed. Paul again makes that clear in Romans chapter 1. Their conscience testifies against them. They know. They know. They know. Why are mankind so miserable today? Because their conscience testifies to their own sinfulness. Why does mankind do what it does? Both in trying to conceal sin... And now in our own day, in our own age, we're seeing it more and more. They are trying to force us to join them in their sin. Why? Because it makes them feel better that they can get you to do it too. And therefore, it's okay. No, it's not okay. They love their evil. They love their sin. Their knowledge fuels the fires of hatred and vitriol against the light. The more their conscience provokes them, the more they hate. Until they can kill it, until they can extinguish it, until they can eliminate its followers, until they can eliminate its proclaimers, they will rage and they will hate. Go back to Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples imagine a vain thing. And why do they exalt themselves against the Lord and against His anointed? Because their deeds are evil coming from an evil heart. This is the reality. This is why men reject Jesus. They love the darkness. They love the innate satanic fallen sinful nature of their own hearts and they do not wish as morris said to be disturbed they are delightedly damned they rejoice in their own condemnation don't disturb us We're comfortable here. Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn you. Your conscience condemns you. My very presence and you being able to see the contrast between your deeds and mine, that provokes you. That condemns you. I've said nothing. 
Have you ever been in a situation like that? You don't have to say anything. You just smile and you're kind, but you're not participating and people respond in hatred to you. Why? Because for you just to simply be there is condemnation to them. And they hate it. And they hate you for being there. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to see it. They want to think that maybe they're wrong. This is why the world rejects Jesus. But here's what concerns me more. This is why some churches reject Jesus. They're comfortable where they are. And rather than deal with the, 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 the problem of men's sin and the problem of the heart and a in, in, in a biblical gospel that remedies sin, we invent systems and programs and therapies and self-help and distraction and easy believism that is religious, but it is not biblical. And, and man-centered actions that all distract away from the biblical Jesus who shows up on earth, and when He does, there's division. And He shows up on the shores of Gadara, and there's confrontation. Christian, we need to be careful that we think biblically about Jesus as Scripture does. This is the problem. But I want you to notice verse 21 that great interjection here but but yet another contrast and it's been the theme really of verses 17 through 21 all these contrasts here's another contrast but on the other hand unlike those who don't believe are those who by the grace of god do believe He who practices the truth comes to the light. Comes to the light. The people of truth come to the light. Come to Jesus Christ. They come to Him. They run to Him. They are thrilled to be in His presence. They love the fact that He is here. And they practice the truth. It's a Semitic phrase, it's a Jewish phrase that that would have been understood to mean act honorably, to act faithfully, to act truly. There are those who do. And what do they do? They come to the light. They, They come to the light. Why do they do this? Now, here is the everything I've said before is true and it's accurate. Now we get to the part that is mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. Why do they come to the light? Let me ask you a question this morning. Why do you come to Jesus? Why have you come? Those who act honorably, faithfully, truthfully come so that His deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. 
so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. What is true of him has not come from a fountain of the depravity of his own heart. Now what is true about these people is that they have come from the graciousness, the glory, the holiness, the goodness of God and his works in them. They have been wrought in God. The, The sense is that what has happened in them is the final word. The final verdict, it's their forever permanent state. God has done something in them so that He might be known. And these people, because God has done it, because God has worked in them, they come and they let everybody know they're coming. There's no fear There is no shame. There is certainly no hatred. And they come to the light. They come to Jesus because God has worked in them. Now remember, let me just back up for just a moment. Remember that one of the great themes of John's Gospel is this. To make Jesus known. Remember at the end, the last part of chapter 1, we find that John begins a litany of accounts where, the, where people are coming to Jesus. And it's not just them coming. They run home and they get somebody else and they bring them to Jesus. And John is just trying to show us how many people are being introduced to the light. Rejoices John's heart to introduce as many people as possible to the light. He says in his letters that follow on later in the New Testament, 1 John 5.13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know. That, he loves that phrase as well. So that you may know, in this case, so that you may know that you have eternal life. But here is the contrast to the people. There are some who hate the light. They love their darkness. But on the other hand are those who come to the light because they love the light. What makes the difference? What deeds are we talking about that these people in verse 21 bring to the light so that it is clear God has done this? What is that deed of acting honorably, faithfully? What is, the, what is it that they have believed? And what is its fruit? Well, they have believed the truth of what Jesus has already communicated. They, they, they believe what Jesus says earlier in the chapter. That they believe everything that this conversation with Nicodemus has been about. They, they believe that they needed to be born again. They believe that there is a sin issue in their life. Uh, they believe they are outside of the kingdom of God. They believe that it is only God who can bring them into the kingdom. And they see that need and they see Jesus as the one and the only one who can save. They've been convinced 
of that by the Spirit of God. And they have come to the light in full confidence that what Jesus has previously said is true. And not only that, they believe that Jesus alone can save them. They believe what He said in verse 16, that I am the only begotten Son of God. That I am the the unique Son of God. There is no other one. And they believe that. And they are convinced of that. And that rings true in their mind. And their confidence is cast upon these truths that God has revealed this to them, that they have been convinced of Christ. And in being convinced of Christ, they are convinced that Christ alone can and will cover their sins. And they have no fear. And they have no shame. Because the words of Jesus to Nicodemus have rung true to them. And they have run to Jesus to have their deeds exposed. Do you see the difference? Men convinced of who Jesus is run to Jesus. Men who hate Jesus run from Jesus. Both know, but notice the marked difference of response. These are the people that Proverbs speaks of in Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. They know, they are convinced that I am a sinner but if I run to Jesus and I, my deeds are exposed in Jesus, they will be covered. And I am not afraid of that light. In John chapter 8, Jesus makes a startling statement that you will know the truth and the truth will do what? Set you free. Here we have desperate sinners who have no fear of their deeds being made known because they understand one thing. When my deeds are made known in Christ, they are also covered by Christ. It's a paradox. I reveal them so that they may be concealed under His blood. Oh, brothers and sisters, that is the mark. That is the distinguishing mark between an unbeliever and a believer. A believer has no fear of confession. A, a believer sees confession as absolutely perfect. Because in Jesus, his sins will be covered. And he has full faith and assurance that that is the truth. And so he doesn't mind. Go ahead, look at me. Know what I am, because what I am will be covered. The unbelievers are not, so they conceal their deeds. They hate the light because they don't want it exposed. And it reveals, ultimately, a lack of belief in them about how their sin will be dealt with. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, 
If you say that, if you, if you hide your sin, you are deceiving yourself and the truth is not in us. If we, on the other hand, confess our sin, 1 John 1, 9, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you hear that? It's gone if you confess it. It is placed under the blood of Jesus, forever cast away as far as east is from west, which is to say, forever. But... If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar. And His Word is not in us. What a contrast. Continuing on in chapter 2 of 1 John. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if you do sin, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. One who stands between us pleading our case based on His meritorious righteousness, based on His perfections. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous. Who do you want pleading your case? Your attempts to hide your sin? Or Christ's guarantee to cover your sin. I know who I want. You cannot conceal your sin. God will reveal it. Either now or on the last day. What more glorious work has God done? What more glorious work has He manifested than covering sins Through His only begotten Son. I submit to you that this one verse, though it assumes and believes and would hold up the creation narrative of Genesis 1 and 2, that is nothing compared to the work God does in redeeming sinners. If that was great, this is greater. The greatest creating work God does is in creating saints out of sinners. That your deeds may be manifest in God. That is not just our sins being revealed. That is the salvation for our sins also being revealed. That is unbelievable. Not only does God reveal them, but He redeems us from them. We bring our sin to God in total belief, convinced that He is who He said He is, That He will do what He says He will do. That He has done what He said He has done. And we believe. And our works are are manifested as having been accomplished in God. Brings us back, as we said in 
Sunday school this morning to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace, what grace? The grace of Almighty God, you have been saved. For by grace you are saved through faith, through belief, convinced by the Spirit of God as Jesus makes clear in the first part of John 3, for by grace are you saved through that faith. And even that is not of yourselves. Even that is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus. God did. God did this. Jesus is saying there is a contrast. One wants to conceal his sins because he hates me. The other wants his sins revealed because he believes me. Because once his sins are revealed, he knows that I will cover them. I am like the serpent in the wilderness that's been held up, and all who looked to it were saved. I am He. You will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. The truth will forgive. The light will not only reveal, but the light will save. You know, that ought to change. If you are a believer this morning, if you are a child of God this morning, should that not change how you pray? Should that not change how often we go before our Savior and confess our failings and our sin and our shortcomings? Because we know. We know and we rejoice in coming to the Lord. We're not happy that we sinned. We don't rejoice in the fact that we sinned. But we delight in coming to Him who forgives sin because it magnifies His greatness. Should that change the way we deal with one another? That we can confess our sins in the Lord, to one another, and we can forgive one another? Because even that is a grace of God that He gives. Oh, we're not running to hide our sin. We're running to expose our sin. Because we know what happens when we do. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow his blood covers all sin the joyous truth i pray that you're not in this camp but maybe you're here this morning and you are under judgment because you are running to conceal your sins stop where you are stop where you are and turn to Jesus Christ, the light. 
Scripture makes clear in Romans chapter 1. There is a progression to those who refuse to turn to the light. It won't stop at one sin. One sin begets and gives birth to 20 more who give birth to 20 more. Sin is an exponential multiplier of destruction, deceit, and death. It never stops. The one sin we're concealing, the one sin we're hiding, will not stop there. That is why we must come. That Christ would expose our deeds and forgive our deeds and cover our deeds. And in their place, bring freedom and life. May you be men and women, boys and girls who are practicing the truth of bringing yourself to the light. Confessing openly who you are, what you are, what you have done, so that God's life and work may be seen in you. May that be true of you. And may the sun set you free. May the light set you free as you believe on Him. Let's bow our heads.